1: Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word.
0: Some of the sayings of Jesus, not all of them are going to be like nice, smooth milk chocolate that just slides down. Some of it's going to be like hard candy. you got to chew on it and suck on it for a while.
1: Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. I'm Bill, and thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Bynes. Now, do you like to be in control, or are you happy for someone else to take the wheel? Well, in this episode, Pastor Jeff has a message about relinquishing control. He shares from Mark's Gospel, Chapter 12, about the parable of the owner and the tenants of the vineyard, and how that's a metaphor for our lives. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff now. On Today with Jeff Vines.
0: Okay, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. As we continue in our series called Remarkable, Now, we come to Mark 12, and Jesus has made that shift from doing the miracles, the signs and wonders to validate who he is, to more of teaching and trying to relate to the disciples that there is a way that you are to live your life. And if you're going to be a Christ follower, you cannot just play the game. You have to say, I am going to align my life with the objectives, with the goals, with the way Christ wants me to live. And if you're a serious Christ follower, that's what you're going to do. I told you when we started this series, there might be some times that he asked us to do something that's difficult and we're going to have a hard time with it. We're also going to have a difficult time with some of the sayings of Jesus. Not all of them are going to be like nice smooth milk chocolate that just slides down. Some of it's going to be like hard candy. You got to chew on it and suck on it for a while before you can digest it. And this is one of those weeks. Here's what Jesus does. He gets the attention of the disciples and he tells them a story. He tells them that there's a guy who owns a vineyard. He plants a vineyard, all the bells and whistles. puts a wall around it, a little moat to water the vines, you know. puts a watchtower, and then he rents it out. He leases it out to some farmers, and he goes away. When the harvest time comes, he sends a messenger back. Typical first century practice. And the messengers say, "Okay, you've got the harvest. The owner of the vineyard wants a portion of the harvest after it all his his vineyard." And the guys who are farming the vineyard beat the messenger up and send him back. So the owner sends another messenger. They beat him up. Another messenger, many messengers, one after they keep beating them up. And finally, the owner says, I'll send my son. They will at least respect him. But when the tenants of the vineyard see the owner's son, they take him and they say, this is the heir. Let us kill him. And they kill him. And Jesus ends the story by saying, beautiful. He says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, What on earth is Jesus talking about? Because this is one of those parables, and Jesus often does this, that when the disciples hear it, they're going to think, man, no way that would happen. There's an owner. I mean, if you're the tenant, I mean, you're going to give back a portion of what the owner owns. I mean, that's just the way it's done. And when Jesus tells a story, the disciples are saying, who on earth would ever act this way? Now, listen carefully. I don't believe there's ever been a society that has been more psychoanalyzed than ours. (laughs) We are looked at so closely by what are called psychological forces or internal emotional dynamics. Now, what does that mean? What is a psychological force? The definition, if you look it up, is simply a motivational construct that directs your behavior. What that means is there's some things that have happened in your life that determine your behavioral patterns, whether you're willing to admit it or not, your relationship with your mom, your relationship with your dad, your home environment, whatever's deep, deep down inside you, it comes out in the way you behave right? Now that's important because psychologists tell us that furthermore, whatever, and this is important, whatever you are afraid of, anxious about, frustrated with, whatever internal struggles you possess, these emotions over-determine and control your behavior. They over-determine and control your behavior, whatever it is you're frustrated with, whatever it is you're anxious about. You ever met anybody that's insecure? What do they do? It overdetermines their behavior. They talk about themselves all the time. They turn every conversation back to themselves. They're the kind of person that goes to a party and they'll find a willing ear and they will tell their whole life story in 20 minutes. And after 20 minutes of talking about themselves, they'll look to the person, they'll say, okay, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? (laughs) So everything turns and shifts. So, they act like the whole world revolves around them when in reality they're afraid that they're purely incidental, that they're mediocre, that they're average. So, what do they do? They overcompensate. It overdetermines their behavior. You're like that too. So am I. I have a friend in New Zealand whose parents left him in the middle of the street when he was six years old, just left him there, abandoned him. He was put in orphanage after orphanage until he was 18 years old. Now, I want to tell you this man is the most driven man I have ever met. Do you know why? Because he's trying to prove to the world that he matters, that he's significant, that he can and does make a difference. And do you know why? Because whatever you're afraid of, whatever you're anxious about, whatever you're frustrated with, whatever internal struggles you possess, these emotions over determine and control your behavior. Now, here's what's uncanny. That is exactly the point of this parable. Jesus is saying that everybody in this room, whether you want to admit it or not, There's something happening down deep inside you, an internal frustration, an anxiety, and it's over-determining your behavior. And you know what? You're in denial. You won't admit it. You suppress it, repress it. And when somebody tries to come along and tell you it's so, you want to kill them. Do you know what that anxiety is that's over-determining your behavior according to the parable and according to other places in the Bible? It's a contempt, an animosity, an antagonism, a hatred toward God. Pastor Jeff, are you telling me that we all hate God? Yes. Down deep inside, there is a hatred all of us have for God. You know why? Because he's the owner, and we're the tenants, and we want to be the owners. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 7 says, The carnal mind is enmity. The Greek word is ekthra, enemy. The carnal mind is enmity. Enmity toward God. You say, okay, Jeff, I hear what you're saying. And by the way, Jeff, you usually hit us with this toward the end. That's a lot to think about right up front. (laughs) All right, let's go and unpack the passage. Go back now. Three key relationships are found in the parable. The first one is the relationship between the owners and the tenant. Here's the verse. A man plants a vineyard, puts a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on the journey. So the disciples know... Who's the owner? God. Who are the tenants? Us. So God's given us everything we need for a life of abundant living. He goes away, and then one day we'll be held accountable for the way we've managed the vineyard. Easy enough. Now, stay with me. When I was in New Zealand, I had a music and worship arts director. His name's Jonathan Ray. He was from Bowling Green, Kentucky. And here's what's interesting about Jonathan. He needed to supplement his income while he was in New Zealand, so he would house sit. Do you do that in California? Somebody goes away and you actually get paid to watch over their home while they're gone. And Kiwis, all Kiwis travel. They always go on what they call their OE, their overseas experiences. And so when they do that, they have somebody house-sitting. Jonathan was house-sitting a home and it was Bill McCarthy's neighbor. Bill McCarthy's my friend who does the television program down there. And uh, Jonathan calls me up and says, Jeff, man, I'm babysitting, babysitting, I'm house-sitting the home that's adjacent to Bill McCarthy. And they have a great pool and... The owners who are away said that we could use the pool anytime we wanted. So man, that was good news to me. I love swimming. So I got my trunks, went over to the swimming pool. It was a hot summer day. Jumped in, just ate a big, a big old splash, just doing a backstroke, you know, just kind of laying on my back, having fun. Some people come out of the house and they yell out to me. They say, hey, are you having fun? And they said it kind of of sarcastically. And I said, yes, come on in, man. The water's great. (laughs) And they just kind of looked at me, said a few words to each other, went back in the house. So, I'm doing cannonballs off the diving board. You know, I'm, I'm, on, the, uh, I'm on the chair and I'm just soaking up sun rays. You know, I got my glasses on, listening to music. I'm having a blast. They come back out about 45 minutes later. Hey, are you having a good time? Again, a little bit sarcastically. I'm, I'm thinking, what's wrong with that? Yeah, I'm having a great time. Come on out, man. Bring some food. Let's go. Now, after another half hour, got my clothes on, went home. As I'm driving home, I'm thinking, wait a minute. I thought. Jonathan Ray told me that the family was out of town. They were away. So I called him on the phone. I said, hey, John, I was just over. You're right. The pool is fantastic, but the owners are home. He said, no, 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 they're not. They're in, they're in London right now. I just spoke with them this morning. He said, Jeff, what house did you go to? I said, I went to the house adjacent to Bill McCarthy. He said, did you go to the one beside it or the one across the street? I said, the one beside it." He said, Jeff, you went to the wrong house, man. And it dawned on me what had happened there. I was swimming in somebody's pool that they didn't even know who I was. What was even more amazing, they didn't have me arrested or call the police. And I'm sure they're thinking, are, you know, that, that explains, are you having a good time? Yeah, well, good. And, you know, I told them to bring some food out and we just have a good time. I mean, now, here's my point in that story. You know, when you use something that doesn't belong to you, you got to get permission. But even when you do use it and you do get permission... You've got to operate within their rules, within their structure. Now, here's the thing. The assumption in the first century, even in a pre-capitalistic society, was that if you owned a vineyard and you had some tenants, that they would manage the vineyard on the behalf of the owner, and you'd do so by two rules. Number one, you'd do so by his word. There are regulations that go along with managing what is not yours and for the owner's profit. That is that the produce of the land ultimately benefits the owner. It's his vineyard. So there are wages that you can earn working in the vineyard, but the owner deserves to get the profits. And the vineyard is run on the basis of what he wants to achieve on his agenda, on advancing his purposes for the vineyard. Now, but there's a broader point here that the disciples again are getting. You notice they're not hard-headed here. This is very clear to them. Jesus is speaking more directly. And you've got to determine where you are in this. Everybody. Because here's what Jesus is saying in the parable. He's saying that we're all tenants acting like owners. That's how we live our lives. Now think about it. Look at your life for a moment. You've got a mind, but you can't just believe any old thing you want to believe. You've got sexual and relational desires, but you can't fulfill them any way you want to fulfill them. You have... Power, possessions, privilege, money, stuff, but you can't use all those things any old way that you want to use them. But if you spend any time at all over at Barnes and Noble in the the self-help section, which is like Abraham's descendants, like the sands on the seashore and the stars in the sky, you're enamored with self-help books, they all say the same thing and they'll all tell you that no one can set your agenda for you. Nobody can determine your objectives. Nobody can tell you what is ultimate right and wrong. You've got to decide all of those for yourselves, and you've got to harness the energy within yourself to be able to succeed. And what I'm trying to say is, and young people, man, you young people, you teenagers, you young adults, wherever you are, you listen to me, man. I want you to understand this is what the world's throwing at you, but it's the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching in the parable. He's saying this, God determines the parameters in which you live, not you or not anybody else, that God determines your goals and objectives, that he sets the agenda for your life, and he has the divine right to do so because he's the creator and he's the owner. You're just a tenant. Now, I want you to think about something. In true psychoanalytical form or fashion, I want you to pretend that I'm the psychologist and you're on my couch, and you're laying back, and you're relaxing. I just said those things I just said to you, and then I ask you this, how does that make you feel? How does it make you feel that I tell you that somebody else determines the parameters of your life? Somebody else determines the moral law of your life. Somebody else determines the goals and objectives and the agenda for your life. Somebody else determines those things. How does that make you feel? Be honest now. Is there any resentment? Just a little bit? Is there any pushback at all? A little taint of rebellion in you? Is there a part of that that just doesn't sit well with you? And God says, you better believe it. And Jesus comes along and says, you're acting like an owner. Start acting like a tenant. Stop posing as somebody that you're not. Start acting like a tenant. You're not even good at being an owner. Now, you've all seen posers, right? People who pose, pretend they're something that they're not. Corey Paddock will give Dane and I tickets sometimes to go down and watch the Lakers. Now, we'll be right on the floor, man. It's great tickets. I mean, there's seats right behind the Kardashians. I got proof. That's me. That's dang. Got this on Google Images. What do you think about that? (laughs) Now, as we're seated there, there are people who go back and forth. Famous people. Bruce Willis will go by. Little guy, by the way. (laughs) TV, movies make you look huge. And uh, Tom Tom Cruise, who's also a little guy. And uh, Diane Lane, who I think is one of the most beautiful. I better stop right there. (laughs) Diane Lane. (laughs) Diane Cannon walks by. Movie stars, you know, Jack Nicholson walks by, and then they go right past us, take a right, and then there's a special room back there for those people to be able to hang out with each other. Now, even though I'm seated right here, if I try to take one step to the floor, there's this big bad woman that will stop me in my tracks. I know this from experience. (laughs) Now, there's one guy that walks back and forth all the time. This guy, he's got, you know, a shirt that unbuttons down to here, gold chain, slick back hair, and he walks with a a swagger, you know. You know, he and he, and nobody knows who he is and everybody around it. Who is that guy? Even the Kardashians, who is that guy? Well, he tries to get in, but he can't get in. He's thrown out because this big bad woman knows exactly. He's a poser. He's not the real thing, but he tries to look the real thing. And the point is, even though that's a sick and sad story, (laughs) is that Jesus is trying to tell us, and I know I'm hammering this because you got to get it before we move on, that all of us are like that guy. We're all posing as if we're the owners. When down deep inside, we know we're the tenants. Now think about it just for a moment. There's all kinds of ways that you can act like an owner. Let's take the basic way that you hear from preachers everywhere, and then we'll move on to the not so basic, and that is the way you use your stuff. You think it belongs to you. You think you can use your stuff for your own self-aggrandizement and self-preservation. And when God sends a messenger to you to remind you that some of that stuff goes back to God, you don't like it. You get angry. You hate God. See, this is my stuff. The way you use your talents and abilities are for self-aggrandizement. The way we use them, most often than not, is for our own self-development and aggrandizement, not for the glory of God. Whose kingdom are we really building with our lives? Come on, whose kingdom do we think about from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed at night? Is it God's kingdom, his vineyard, how we want to expand it, or is it what we want and what we think we're entitled to? In the parable, Jesus is saying you all struggle, all of us, right down deep inside, and it overdetermines our behavior. And when some messenger comes to warn us otherwise, we get angry. But if you move past that, it goes beyond all that, really, because we, even when we're successful, uh, listen closely, you people, you business people, us business people, all of us who want to be successful listen. When we are successful and something great happens in our lives, we have the tendency to have a feeling of superiority. Well, I'm, I'm better than most people. Look what I accomplished. It was because of my hard work and my dedication, my commitment. And we don't stop to think that maybe we were in the right place at the right time, that maybe the sovereign hand of God opened up the windows of heaven and blessed us. And rather than giving thanksgiving and thinking, man, God is good. Our first temptation is to think, man, I'm good now here's one thing i know for certain about the god of the bible he is a god who is a jealous god who's not going to share his glory with anybody so when that's your attitude and when we become people that feel entitled and we feel we're the owners and we feel that it's because of our superiority that we're making gains in life we put ourselves in a position where i believe it limits the hand of god to be more willing to open up the windows of heaven and pour his blessings out on us when we say, look what I have done, look what I have accomplished, I am superior to others, that is a tenant acting like an owner. So when Jesus tells the story, he's communicating this one basic truth, and here it is. We all live under the illusion of independence and self-sufficiency, whereas our real condition is dependency and contingency. Everything in our life is dependent and contingent on the sovereign hand of God. But we're going to fight that. On one hand, we know we are tenants. On the other hand, we hate it. On one hand, we know we owe the odor. On the other hand, we want to take credit for the accomplishments, for the gains, and blame God for all the deficits. And there's a deep conflict that arises so that when somebody comes and warns us that this is the way it's so, we want to kill them. I think it starts at a young age, and then I'll move on. Do you remember my... How many of you played corkball? Anybody in the room ever played corkball? Okay, one person, two... Uh, two godly people in the whole congregation. <laughs> you probably grew up in the South, or I don't know, but in the South, you know, I grew up in East Tennessee. You, you can't afford balls and bats, so you use what you can. So we would and I do mean this I'm going to use this word "still broom handles out of the broom closet uh, at the T.A. Duggar Junior High School, because during recess we wanted to play corkball. Corkball is a great game. The pitcher throws it, and you've got to be quite talented. I don't want to hit anybody, but you, you can really throw that a long way. The batter, is the ball, as the court comes toward him, you hit it. Now, if you hit it a certain distance, you get so many points. If you don't hit the court past the pitcher, that's not a very good one. The more thick court will go a long way if you make solid contact. You're out if you don't hit it past the pitcher. Or if the pitcher throws it and you swing at it and the catcher catches it, you're out. So you only get one chance. So you can bat all day as long as the catcher doesn't catch it. And it's hard to catch that court as you're trying to swing, especially the guys who can really fire it. Now, cork ball is a pretty important game. On the, uh, on the grassy fields during recess at T.A. Duggar Junior High School. The problem is when you've got a bunch of guys with sticks, when they get mad at each other, things turn ugly. <laughs> and so Principal Pless came to the playground and confiscated all our broomsticks. And this really made me mad. It made all of us mad. Who is Mr. Pless? Who does he think he is to confiscate our broomsticks? Now, here's what's funny about that: They weren't our broomsticks and I know this because I personally stole them out of the janitorial closet. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? These are our broomsticks. I mean, you can just see your future pastor hiding in the broom closet, <laughs> throwing it to his friend and the next one. And you have to unscrew them. And then the poor janitor comes, he's got nothing to mop the floor with. These sticks are great for corkball. ball. Principal Pless confiscated all of them. We all got in trouble and we're all out on the playground the next day with nothing to do for a solid hour. And then inevitably, you know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to say, I can't believe Principal Pless took our broomsticks. Somebody ought to go up there and get them. Now, you know what's coming next, don't you? (laughs) I dare you. I double dog dare you. And then call me a Plavlonian dog or whatever. But as soon as somebody says that, when I was 12 or 13, I always said, I'll do it. That's just like a bell going off for me. I'll do it. I had a great plan. A great plan. Here was my plan. I had my best friend, Mark Chester, hit me in the nose. I said, hit me in the nose. I'll start to bleed. And when you bleed, you automatically get to go to the principal's office. And we knew where all the broom handles and the corks were. They were in the principal's office closet. But if I can go to the principal's office, he will panic because he did not like the sight of blood. And he will run out and get the nurse and the first aid kit. And while he's gone, I'll go into the principal's closet, take back all the broom handles and the corks. I will throw them out the second story window. You guys be down below to catch them. (laughs) And, that's, and my plan was flawless, and I want to tell you, it worked to perfection. I had Mark Chester hit me in the nose and said, he hit me a little harder than I wanted to. I'm bleeding, I go up, he panics, Principal Pless goes and gets the nurse and the first aid kit. While he's doing that, I run over, get them, throw them out the window. All the guys get them, some of them get hit in the head, but that's okay. It's worth the risk, and they run away, and we got all of these sticks that we're hiding now. So every day, Mr. Pless takes one, but we got another, and another, and another. Now, I want to tell you that... The name Jeffrey A. Vines is legend on the playground of T.A. Duggar Junior High School, (laughs) even to this day for taking back the cork ball. As a matter of fact, every year around this time, there's a moment of silence on the field (laughs) in honor of, okay, that's not true. But the point is this, here's my point though. And I do have one. It starts at a very young age, folks. It's that we, this is what we're like. We wanna be the owner. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We have a sense of entitlement. We even do it with God. And when God restricts us, there's a certain part of us that is angry and have hatred toward Him.
1: Well, we need to pause there for today, but I'm sure we can all relate to that and feel a little bit that way sometimes, restricted and frustrated.
0: It's like a big neon sign that tells you you are not in control. You are not the owner. Submit to the one who is and it'll be safer and better for you.
1: Make sure to join me next time to hear the rest of Pastor Jeff's point and more from this parable in Mark chapter 12. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.